Hello, and welcome back. I'm Chris Latour on behalf of the Thoracic Oncology Assembly. I'm delighted that you're turning in again for another riveting discussion about lung cancer screening. As you recall, I'm joined by Dr. Patricia Rivera, who's a professor of medicine at the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and Dr. Renda Wiener, an investigator at the VA HSRD Center for Healthcare Organization and Implementation Research, as well as an assistant professor at the Boston University School of Medicine. Today, Drs. Rivera and Wiener and I will focus on shared decision making, what it is good for, and how hard it is to do. Let's begin. Renda, what, uh, we're talking about shared decision making. Um, and what tools do you use to help with shared decision making? And what has been your experience with using that tool so far? So um, there are a couple of uh, shared decision-making tools, decision aids that I turn to. Um, if I want to use a paper-based version, the American Thoracic Society, as you know, Chris, um, has a tool that's available that I like a lot and um, have used with patients. I also use, um, if I want to use a more uh, interactive tool, um, I like the uh, www.shouldiscreen.com tool. Um, in particular, I like the fact that it has a risk calculator where you can really um, you know, put in the, the patient's individual information and get tailored risk information to present to patients. I think that's really um, really can be quite useful for them to understand what the trade-offs are for them as an individual and the balance of um, potential benefits and potential harms. Um, one thing I like about the uh, American Thoracic Society decision aid is the um, pictograph that it uses, which is also um, for anybody out there who works in the VA, there's also a VA tool that uses the same pictograph, which um, is really nice. Um, so those are the tools that I turn to, and I and I have found that they um, can be really helpful um, to explain to patients um, what the benefits and harms are. And Renda, and, and I'm, I'm going to actually ask Patricia this question, but uh, maybe she can comment on something you said. So you said I a lot when you said you're using mm-hmm. the tools, and is that mm-hmm. um, standard that, that it's a physician doing it in your program or you know, is it a primary care person? So who, who does the shared decision-making visit, and, 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 and how long does it take? Okay. So in our program, it is uh, typically the physician who's doing it. It's the ordering physician that's doing it. And we've, you know, looking at our data, we found that about um, 75% of our um, screening CTs are ordered by primary care, and the remaining quarter of them by pulmonary so it does tend to be, uh, you know, those physicians who are responsible for conducting the shared decision-making visit. Um, our screening program does offer uh, offer the option of having the patient referred to the screening program to conduct the shared decision-making visit, but we found that that service is uh, is not utilized often, um, almost never, in fact. So um, it seems the ordering providers... Um, you know, prefer to do this themselves. Um, a lot of when we spoke to primary care about that, and we were, because when we first set up our program, we weren't sure whether primary care providers would want to have the responsibility of doing the shared decision-making visit or whether they would prefer to, you know, refer it to the screening coordinator to be done centrally. Um, and what we found was that, first of all, primary care providers felt that they knew their patients well, you know, knew what some of their concerns were, and they felt that they wanted to have the responsibility for that discussion. They also um, were concerned about 
um, you know, the burden on the patients of having to come in for an extra visit um, to the screening program, um, particularly since um, sometimes uh, getting into appointments can be an issue for our patients and our underserved community. Um, so I think the idea was that to try to capture the patient, you know, while they were there already for a primary care visit and not make them come in for an extra visit just for shared decision-making. I know that that approach has, has um, been extremely variable across programs with um, different places doing different things. I think it sounds like, Patricia, you guys maybe do more of the central approach to shared decision-making. Is that right? Uh, so we have uh, three um, three pathways. The, we have um, a grant supporting um, a shared decision-making tool that we created internally. Prior to that, I had been using the ATS shared decision-making tool that I agree with you is excellent because primarily it makes it easier for patients to visualize. Um, but we we uh, started the study using conducting our own um, tool that we developed internally. That uh, tool is used consistently in the internal medicine clinic where uh, screening is um, the internal medicine providers are, are ordering the screening test and they're conducting under this uh, study we're doing the shared decision um, in the medicine clinic. The pulmonary clinic um, is referring most of the patients to the screening clinic. I um, started the clinic on a separate day, on a Monday, in a place where patients did not have to pay for parking. Um, the, the CT um, facility, the, the radiology facility is across the street. The CT scan can be done the same day, and it will be read <clears throat> real-time by the uh, designated radiologist to the screening clinic so that patients will have their results on the same day. Um, oh, that's I do, great. Yeah, and I have a nurse practitioner, and I, she's sort of learning the ropes of screening. So I have been using, our obviously, our screening tool because it's part of a study. Um, and then I also use the um, uh, www.shouldiscreen.com for the same reasons, as I mentioned earlier, and that Brent, uh, Brenda just described, because it really allows you to assess the risk, which is often, you know, right on target with the Brock um, prediction model, and then patients can sort of see on a spectrum of risk where they fall. Um, it takes, uh, I've been doing it myself, um, it can take me up to 30 minutes, depending on the patient. Oh I have time myself to um, uh, go through um, shared decision-making. Um, it can be as fast as 10 minutes. Um, and recently with a physician um, uh, that was referred to for screening, uh, 30 minutes. Um, I, well, uh, do you mind if I interrupt you and ask a question about that? Mm -hmm. um, so in, you know, a typical primary care visit these days is like 15 minutes or something. And so if if, if The primary good, care physicians short... at UNT are not doing uh, shared decision-making, I can assure huh. you of that. They're yeah. ordering the screening test, but they are not doing shared decision-making because it is impossible to sh do shared decision-making within a 15-minute clinic visit, in my opinion. Yeah. And they're not doing it. Yeah. So, well, so what, oh, what, what I'm hoping will happen is that as more and more primary care physicians who had not really bought into the concept of screening up until January of this year um, I'm getting more and more referrals from the primary care physicians internally at UNC 
um, to the screening program. So it's generally uh, referrals from within the pulmonary clinic and the primary care clinic. Um, the internal medicine clinic doesn't really refer unless there's, you know, controversial issues regarding comorbidities and um, really risk assessment, then they're referring those patients. Um, but they're doing, internal medicine is doing shared decision-making with the tool that we created here. It's a one-page uh, tool that we're um, currently studying. Um, so, and I have spoken to neighboring um, satellite primary care clinics that are part of the UNC healthcare system in my uh, outreach uh, for screening, and shared decision-making is not part of the uh, screening um, that's going on in the community. Hmm. Well, that's what I'm just wondering. Maybe both of you guys can answer then. If, if it takes so long, is it is it worth it? Is it worth it to do all this shared decision-making, or should we just, you know, sort of recommend it or not recommend it? Uh, I'm... I'm not sure, Chris. I, I, I think that um, I think this is really complex, and I am at the end of the day. I'm sometimes not sure how much patients really understand. I have um, come to appreciate that when patients are referred to the screening clinic, they just want to be um, they just want to get screened. Um, so so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the right I think the concept is is an excellent one, right? We really want patients engaged in their care and understanding the risks and the benefits um before we embark on, you know, test after test after test. But um and and maybe I'm doing it wrong, but it is a lot of, of time that one needs to take to explain the concept of screening, the false positives the number of patients that need to be screened to prevent one lung cancer death. I mean, those are not easy concepts. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, having uh, helped work on the on right. decision aids for this thing, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And so, say, Renda, what do you think? Do you think it's worth doing all this shared decision-making or should we? I uh, do think do it's worth it. Do it. No, no, I do think it's worth it. Um, and, Patricia, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. It sounds like you're doing a fantastic job, and I would say you are doing, I'm sure, a better job than, you know, 99.9% of the people out there. Um, but, you know, that's why I think that the requirement for uh, shared decision-making that, you know, that's included in the CMS decision for Medicare coverage, I think it's important because, um, you know, the usual process for for ordering a test for a patient is you just say, Hey, you're do, you're eligible for this test. I'm going to order it, and with very little discussion of the um, the trade-offs of uh, benefits and harms for patients. Um, you know that's been shown in all kinds of contexts, again and again and again. So I think the only way that a more thorough discussion um, is going to happen is the fact that you know this is a requirement by Medicare. Um, I think it is important because. Um, you know there are very real harms to uh to screening and i think that patients you know should be informed about that and um i agree that um it's a complicated process and it's time consuming um and we haven't maybe figured out you know how best we can streamline this so that it doesn't take um you know 30 minutes which is really just not realistic um to happen in primary care um but I do think it's important because, uh, you know, 
the work that you and I have done, Chris, um, I think we've we've shown that um, when a patient is found to have a pulmonary nodule unexpectedly um, and they haven't been prepared for that, that can be extremely upsetting and cause a lot of distress. And I think, um, you know, I don't have the data to back me up on this, but I believe that um, that when patients are better prepared for the fact that they may find a nodule, um, you know, in, in a shared decision-making type of visit and what that would entail, um, it may be less distressing and they may be more likely to, you know, follow through with the process of um, not only the initial screening CT, but also the um, evaluation process of any screen-detected abnormalities um, that are identified. So, um, so I'm still I'm still pro shared decision making. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to apply that. I'm and I'm I'm um, uh, I have equipoise about it, quite honestly. And so um, mm-hmm. we actually just uh, got funded to do a study to sort of look just at that those questions about what is the the essentially what is the bang for the buck for shared decision making. So so and I think it's a question you know like you point out that really needs answering. I think one of my mm-hmm. concerns in screening programs is that um, either, you know, you're going to screen like two people a day because shared decision-making takes, you know, four hours per visit, or you're going to be a program where you're, you know, or, you know, a busy primary care person who sees lots of patients and you're going to, you know, sort of use the requirement for shared decision-making as basically a checkbox, you know, that said, I handed out this, you know, decision aid, I'm done. And then in, at least in, you know, when we're when Medicare is thinking about paying for this or sort of looking to see, um, you know, is shared decision making going on? I think the um, the only real metric we're going to have is how many people, um, you know, get uh, sort of hear about screening, and then how many people go on to actually get screened. And so I'm just sort of curious if you guys have thoughts about what's what's the right percentage in a screening program or an institution of um, the people who decline to be screened and as a way of sort of marking uh, or monitoring for uh, some, some, you know, for monitoring for quality, I guess. I don't think we know the answer as to what is the right number, uh, you know, what. I I think that um, most people would agree that it shouldn't be 100% accepting screening and it shouldn't be 100% refusing screening. Um, but where exactly it should fall, I don't think we really know the answer to that because I do think it's an individual decision. Um, one thing I think that may, you know, one thing that, like thinking about different programs and the populations that they serve, um, you know, I would hope that the rate of um, declining screening would be lower in, you know, a particularly high-risk um, patient population as opposed to a lower-risk population. It might be, um, you know, okay to have higher rates of refusal because the balance of um, benefits to harms is going to be lower in a low-risk population. Uh, wait, did I say that right? Yes. Um <laughs> So, you know, that might be one way it could work out if you have other similar programs to benchmark yourself against. But I think if you're finding that you have unexpectedly super high rates of either acceptance or refusal of screening, then you might think about whether 
the information is being presented in a neutral way because I do think it's very easy for the bias of the uh, clinician, you know, um, and their attitudes about lung cancer screening, whether they're sort of pro-screening or anti-screening. I think it's really easy for that to creep into the discussion and, and influence the patient's decision. And, you know, hopefully this is something that the patient is deciding and not so much that the doctor is, you know, kind of imposing what their what their attitudes are and beliefs on the patient. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. You heard a lot about the excellent decision aid developed at the University of Michigan, and you can find it online at www.shouldiscreen.com. And if you want a paper version, you can find links to it on the main Thoracic Oncology Assembly webpage at www.thoracic.org. Next time, you'll hear us discuss screening and nodule registries. These registries are the backbone to a successful screening program. And you'll hear Dr. Wiener say, I think there are a lot of challenges with figuring out how to get the registry set up. Until next time.